Good morning. Welcome to our service today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us this morning. And if you are visiting, we want you to feel a very warm welcome as you join us today in worship. And after our service, you are all invited to an all-church potluck. So immediately after our service, we will uh, enjoy an opportunity to, to meet together. We thought of no better way to begin our time together this week with John Regeer and Caring for the Heart Ministries than to enjoy a meal and fellowship together. So that's the plan following our service. So uh, if you weren't aware and didn't bring anything, don't worry about it. We believe that there'll be enough. So we want you to, to feel welcome and to join us following our service. We do want to take this time to extend a warm welcome to John and Barbara Gear, and Nevin and Joan Nisley and David Bulkley with Caring for the Heart Ministries. If they would stand just for a moment, we want to recognize them. We want to start to begin to identify them. We've got John and Barb, and, and the, the, they're back there in the back. So, thank you. We also want to take this opportunity to recognize uh, Floyd Siemens, who I believe today turns 85. That's not bad, is it? And also, and also Luella Jost will be turning 90 on the 24th. So we just want to recognize both of them. At this time, let's stand and greet one another. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh -huh. Good morning. Great, great. <laughs> In our service today, you can, you can remain standing. If you have not received the outline for the service for this morning, please raise your hand. We want to make sure you get one. So we're going to just take advantage right now. If you did not get a, looks like we did a pretty good job. Very good. We want you to have that resource available. At this time for our call to worship, I want to draw our attention to 1 Corinthians 13. Very familiar passage, but I want us to listen to it possibly with new ears this morning. In light of what we're going to be hearing this morning, in light of the message that uh, John is going to be bringing to us, I just want us to really soak in these words. Let them, let them penetrate into your spirit. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are gathered together this morning. We are thankful for your protecting hand in bringing us here. And Lord, we want to look to you for our strength. We want to recognize that your love has been showed to us in a powerful way. And Lord, we want to just allow your love to be displayed in our service today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity to have the Caring for the Heart Ministries with us this morning. And so we ask that you will guide and direct us throughout this service, throughout this week. We offer it to you, asking for your blessing upon it. In your name, amen. Please remain standing, and I want to give you just a real quick update. Uh, if you recall, on our BNBC connection, we noted that Lucinda, who was at a, a youth winter camp, uh, was experiencing some health issues. Um, and so I want to report to you that she stayed overnight, and the text from Pastor Mike this morning goes like this. Everything is looking good. Lucinda is feeling better. She should be released today. Have a great morning. So we can be thankful that it, it appears that it was altitude-related, and so we want to continue to remember them in our prayers as they work their way back from Colorado. Let's worship at this time. All right, we're going to start this morning with kind of a rousing song to get our blood flowing. Uh, the Lord reigns.
Lord reigns today? Is he in control? Absolutely. Let's continue praising. Uh, praise to the Lord Almighty.
You may be seated. Lord, uh, as we look into your word, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. Uh, reveal truth to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear. Isaiah chapter 53. And how about I'll start at verse 1. Hopefully you opened your Bibles. Um, Who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped. We were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to this world to pay the price for our sins. Your love is more than we can understand or comprehend. It is just so awesome that while we were your enemies, yet you would die for us. Your king would die, pay the price, so that we could have a relationship with you. We reject you, and yet you run after us. Wow. I am in awe. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me in such a great way. Lord, help us to take and understand your love more and more each and every day. And that we would share that love. That we would love you back like you love us. And that we would show that love to others. And that we would treat others as you would have us treat them. And that we would love them like you love us. And that we would care. Lord, so many times we're so selfish that we don't care about others. We only care about ourselves. Forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have this morning to gather together as the body of Christ. And we pray that you will just speak to us this morning through your servant as he shares, through the Holy Spirit as you speak through him. Lord, help us to have humble and contrite hearts that we would listen, that we'd be surrendered. And that when you speak to us, we would understand the things that we need to change. And that we would say, here am I, Lord. And that we would listen. And that we would be willing to obey and to follow you. Lord, we want to pray for Mike and Lucinda as they're in Colorado. And we just pray that you will grant them safety as they travel home today. We thank you for protecting Lucinda through this situation. We don't know what was wrong, but we pray that through this, they'll be drawn closer to you even more than they are already, and that you'll be glorified in some way. And, and Lord, too, this morning as we uh, 
As we give our offerings, we pray that you will use these for your kingdom to bring honor and glory to your name, to reach out to people that don't know you, to those that do, to become more like Jesus. Lord, we want to walk with you. Help us to be pleasing in your sight in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the choir is coming to join you in the, the uh, seats here. We just want to continue worshiping this morning, and uh, we ask that um, God would be pleased with, with what we sing. I pray that uh, these words will help uh, prepare our hearts for what John has to say to us this morning. Our great God. Eternal 
with us and let's sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. here this morning. Will you give this uh, message to you, and we thank you, Lord, for your time of um, just worship and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. John is going to be coming up in just a second, but before he does, I want to share just a little bit about him so that you have a, a little understanding of, of who he is. Uh, John Regeer has been a pastor for 24 years. He's an author, a conference speaker, and he's the director of Caring for the Heart Ministries out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. He received his BA from Grace College of the Bible and his Master of Divinity from Grace Theological Seminary. 
His counseling approach applies biblical solutions to the problems individuals and couples experience so that they can attain the freedom God designed for them to enjoy. John, come up and minister to us. Lord, we just offer you this moment. We thank you for bringing John Regeer and those with him for the ministry of caring for the heart. And Lord, we just pray right now in this moment, your spirit will just rest and abide upon him, that you would give him your words to share, that the message that he would bring would touch our hearts. Lord, a message of love, a message that we all need to hear. And so Lord, open up our hearts Use John to be your vessel to speak to us and in us. And Lord, may the words that we hear be used in our lives to further bring you honor and glory and praise in how we live our lives, how we reflect the love that you showed to us upon the cross through your son and how we can be uh, testimonies to that love, how we can uh, share with others what it is that you've done in our hearts. So we just uh, lift up this message to you and ask for your blessing on it in your name. Amen. My wife and I counted it in, a privilege to be here to share this uh, week with you. We're looking forward to the time together. 35 years ago, uh, my wife and I were involved in pastoring a small church in Northeast Colorado. A lady walked into my office and um, said, uh, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I have the same problems I had 30 years ago. That bothered me. I'd been her pastor for six years and I assumed anybody that listened to me three times a week, their lives would be changed. I'd been taught in Bible college and seminary that um, if you exegetically taught the word, people's lives would automatically change, but I didn't see that. The only people that really changed were the people that I would spend two hours a day with um, focusing on what their issues were and praying with them and helping them. The rest of the people in the church really didn't resolve their problems. So I made a decision after spending some time in prayer that I would never preach another message without 20% of it being application. If I was speaking on anger, I had to explain how to get rid of anger. If I was speaking on depression, I had to explain how to get rid of depression. If I was speaking on fear, I had to explain how to get rid of fear. But in seven years of Bible college and seminary, nobody told me how to answer those questions. So I didn't know. I began studying the Bible and asking the question, how do you actually solve people's problems? A lady that came into my office had a bitterness her brother-in-law spent all of their money and controlled her finances and she was bitter toward her brother-in-law and she didn't know how to resolve the issue. So I began as a pastor to make a list of all the problems that came into my office. Bitterness, pornography, anger, depression, fear. I came up with 45 file folders of different problems that came into my office as a pastor. Then I began to identify 
how do you actually resolve these issues? And I went to the Word of God to ask the question, how do you resolve bitterness? How do you resolve fear? How do you resolve depression? And over the last 35 years, each morning as I begin the day, I pray, God, if you bring anyone into my life with an issue that needs to be resolved, would you give me the wisdom to know how to solve that problem? 19 years ago, my wife and I resigned um, the pastoral ministry um, because I was counseling people from 12 churches in Colorado Springs and uh, the church was paying my salary and I was counseling people from all over town. And I decided that um, I would just spend the rest of my time focusing on solving people's problems and helping them understand what their issues are. In the last 19 years, uh, each week, I see one couple in the morning for three hours, one couple in the afternoon for three hours, uh, for a total of 15 hours. They come in on Monday morning. By Friday, I have to have their problem figured out and solved. That's a challenge. I, I've learned some things over the years, uh, 19 years of counseling. The first thing I've noticed is that everybody has a problem. Uh, except if you live in Bueller and you're Mennonite. Um, Mennonites usually don't have problems. Um, sometimes they're detached from their problems. But everybody has a problem. The second thing I noticed is that everyone has a core emotional need. And if I were to ask you today, put in one word what your need is, all of you sitting here could define what that need is. You could actually turn to your wife tonight and say, would you put in one word what your core need is? Some wives will say, I want acceptance. Some wives will say, I want uh, to be cherished. Some might say, I want to be loved. Some might say, I want to be understood. Everybody has a core emotional need. I want you to think about that because as we go through the week and the evenings, we're going to be identifying how do you actually meet that core need in a wife and a husband in your children that they might have? Another thing that I began to realize is that everybody has core emotional pain issues inside their heart. Issues that they struggle with on a regular basis. And if you were to ask anybody, could you put in three words what your core emotional pain is? they can define that. Someone might say, my core pain is I felt rejected, I've not been accepted, and nobody understands me. In those three words, they've defined what they've experienced in their lives that they've struggled with. Another thing I've learned is that a person will marry their worst parent. So the problem they had in the first 20 years, now they're going to struggle with for the next 60 years. That is, unless they've resolved the issues with their parents. So if you had a controlling mother, you're going to marry a controlling wife. Or if you had a perfectionist father, you're gonna marry a perfectionist husband. Um, and after you counsel for 19 years, you start seeing those patterns. 90% uh, of the time, people marry their worst parent. 
through the years I've asked the question, how do you actually resolve people's problems? How do you actually take a person, identify what their problems is, and actually help them resolve that issue in their personal life? I found that there are four ingredients that are critical to understanding people's problems and resolving them. First of all, you have to bring Jesus into the process of resolving a person's problem. If Jesus is not a part of the process, a person will never get free. Because only Jesus can change a person's life. I've never changed anybody's life. There was a period the first 10 years of my counseling that I tried to convince people to stop being angry. I tried to convince people to stop being depressed. That never solved anybody's problem. I tried to convince people they shouldn't be doing what they were doing. That process, even though it's okay to tell a person that they shouldn't be doing something, doesn't really solve a person's problem because if you tell a person you shouldn't be angry, that makes them more angry. What you have to do is find the cause for that anger. So the first thing is we have to invite Jesus into the process of counseling and he's the only one that's going to change a life. Secondly, the only change that can take place is through prayer. So we use prayer to actually change what's happening inside a person's heart and reverse the problem. When you use prayer, 80% uh, of a person's pain goes away. So if a person has been sexually abused, they came into my office and they say, I've been severely damaged when I was 14 through an individual that took advantage of me. If a person is willing to follow me in prayer, they will lose 80% of their pain from that experience. Or if a person has been depressed and they come in and we identify the cause of that depression and we lead them in prayer, they lose 80% of their pain in one week, 15 hour period of time. So the first thing to change a person's life is to make sure that Jesus is involved in the process. The second is we use prayer. The third is we want to understand the cause of one's problem. Every problem has a cause. There's a reason why a person is angry. There's a reason why a person is depressed. There's a reason why a person has negative thoughts. No one loves me. No one appreciates me. And once you identify the cause of that problem, what happens is, and you lead them in a prayer, they lose that problem. It's a very simple process. It's not complicated. And yet, the majority of people don't understand how to actually resolve that pain inside their heart. The fourth step is to care and love that person. Today I'd like to talk about the power of love to transform a life. And I'd like to take you to two passages of scripture this morning and identify how you can take a depressed person and by loving them change their life. How you can take a person who is in sin and love them and actually change their life through love. 
It's interesting, when you look at the Gospels, and by the way, this counseling model came as I just read and reread the Gospels. I watched how Jesus dealt with people. Jesus didn't judge people. The only time he got angry was at the scribes and Pharisees for taking advantage of the people in the temple when he chased them out with whips twice. It's the only time you see Jesus angry but you see Jesus caring and understanding people. And what Jesus did is he focused on the heart of the person to understand what was happening inside, and he identified their key emotional need or spiritual need, and he focused on it. The woman at the well is a beautiful example of this. She had five husbands and was living with the sixth. And instead of judging her for that, Jesus cared about her core emotional need. So if we want to care about another person or understand their problem, when you identify what's happening in their heart and you focus to care about that and you find out how they were damaged and you care about what they struggle with and you lead them in a prayer, everything changes inside. So, wonderful thing to watch because I have the opportunity every week to identify individuals problems that they share with me we go and look for the cause I lead them in a prayer and something changes inside their heart it's a totally different model of counseling but I love it because Jesus can change a heart that's been damaged a number of months ago a mother called our office and said our daughter is binge drinking. She almost died three times because she drank too much alcohol. The parents wanted me to fix their daughter so she would stop drinking. She was 20 years of age, um, just graduated from college, was teaching. And she came into my office and I tested her um, and her score was 99% depressed. 99% anxious, 99% feeling rejected, 99% angry. And I wondered, what kind of pain is in this girl's heart? She was a beautiful young lady, uh, lots of opportunities uh, to teach, uh, had her whole future in front of her. But emotionally, she was trying to cover her pain with alcohol because her pain was too intense. So I brought her into my office and I said, um, do you mind if I focus on your heart to understand what's happening inside? I said, can you tell me about your dad? And she says, my dad never lets me connect with him. He's totally emotionally detached. We go for walks, but he will never let me connect with him. I said, tell me about your mother. My mother's depressed, just like I am. She's anxious, especially now that I'm in college and she's scared to death what my future holds. And she says, my mother is not only anxious and depressed, um, she is totally self-focused on her pain. And when she's focused on her pain and her depression, I get nothing. The parents came in for a week, 15-hour block, and I sat down with the husband, 
And I helped him understand the fact that he was emotionally detached. We're going to talk about that later this week. And how an emotionally detached person can't love. They can't connect with another person. They're emotionally distant from everyone. They're very intellectual. And I showed him his test score, 1% sympathetic. And I said, one of the reasons your daughter is drinking is because you're emotionally detached and she longs for relationship and she can't connect with you. The man turned to me, he's a professional doctor, and he says, can you fix that? And I said, sure. We just have to find the reason why you're detached and uh, resolve it. So we worked three hours to resolve that. Then I showed the mother how her depression and self-focus on her pain and her anxiety and depression was affecting the daughter. And I led her in a prayer to resolve her issues. We came to Thursday morning and the parents came in and we were talking and the father said on Monday night after our session, I went into our daughter's bedroom and for the first time I opened my heart and I connected with my daughter. The mother says, you know what my daughter did after that little 15 minute session? My daughter ran downstairs to where I was in the kitchen and got so excited, daddy finally figured out how to love me, how to kind of care about me. The mother learned instead of how to focus on her pain, how to focus on connecting to care. And on Thursday morning, the daughter texted the, da the mother and said, I had an invitation to go drinking last night. Someone asked me if I was gonna go and I don't know why anybody would wanna drink. I didn't tell her to stop drinking alcohol. I didn't tell her the consequences that would come if she kept drinking. All I did was identified her emotional need, identified the cause of what she was struggling with in her home, resolved the parental issues, got her to start responding to love from her parents. Everything reversed inside. That's the power of love. I've been doing something in my office the last year that I'm all excited about and that is showing individuals how to love, to take away the pain that other people are experiencing. I'd like to begin this session by talking about God's love. The Bible says God is love. A very simple statement, we all know that. We all know that God loved us so much that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins. And we all understand the fact that when we by faith believe the fact that he died on the cross for us, we're freed from the penalty of our sins and we can have eternal life. That's a beautiful gift of God's love to us. But it's interesting, when you think of God's love, I'd like to share four statements about God's love. First of all, his love is guaranteed. Psalms 36, 7 says, How priceless is your unfailing love. God's love will never cease. It never stops. His love demonstrated at Calvary is going to be demonstrated all the rest of eternity in the same way it's been demonstrated in the past. Secondly, God's love is inseparable. Paul says in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of God? Can trouble, 
hardship, persecution, famine, danger, sword, death, life, angels, demons, powers, any created being. No, Paul says, none of those things can separate us from God's love. My wife and I were just in Florida a week ago. By the way, it was 70 degrees in Florida. I've been reminded since I got here, it was 70 degrees here a week ago too. Um, and it all of a sudden turned cold. But on the way back, driving 18 hours in our van from a seminar we had in Florida, we watched um, Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, or we listened to it on CD. And it's a description of a German concentration camp in the 40s where Corey and Betsy, her sister and her father, were in this uh, German concentration camp and very little food, lice, uh, horrible circumstances. And Betsy and Corey struggle with what they were experiencing. And Betsy died in the concentration camp. And Corey struggled with that. But the one thing in the book that you can't ever um, pull away from is that God was there with them in that experience. And in death or in persecution, God was always there to care about their hearts. And it was beautiful in listening to the book being read to see how God intervened and protected and provided. And Corey had a hidden Bible all those years uh, that they were in the concentration camp and she read it and the guards never saw the Bible even though she went through numerous checks. And because the guards didn't want to come into the lice-ridden barracks where hundreds of women were in there, um, they had Bible studies because the guards didn't want to get lice and God used the lice to protect them. And it's a beautiful story of God never leaves one of his children. There's a third thing that the Bible says is that God's love is all-encompassing. No matter how high you go, God is there. We think of heaven up when death comes and you and I are ushered into God's presence in heaven, God will be there. No matter how low you go or how deep you go, and we think often of hell being down, no matter if you go to hell, hell will be a reminder that God is love, even though the people in hell will have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then he talks about how wide God's love is. His love reaches to every person in all the world. For God so loved the world. And then how long from the east is from the west. God's love is all encompassing. No matter where you go, God's love will always be there. Finally, God's love is eternal. It will never cease. Lamentations chapter 3 says... Uh, that your compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love is new every morning you wake up. And we all woke up this morning. God's love was there to be demonstrated to us. Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Isaiah 54, with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. God's love will never cease. It's an amazing thing that when you and I have trusted Christ as our Savior, God's love will be demonstrated in that fashion throughout all eternity. And for those of us who have trusted his death on the cross, we'll experience his love. It's interesting in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. In 1 John 4.19, it says we love because he loved us first. Because God demonstrated his love to me, I have the ability to express love to others. I've had people in my office say, John, I'm emotionally detached. I'm an intellectual locked heart. The reason I'm 1% sympathetic is I was never created to love. I don't believe that. And I've had people argue with me for 12 hours in a week saying, John, I know I've been married. I know I'm married. But my wife has to accept the fact that I'm 1% sympathetic. You know what I've found over the last 19 years? About 15% of people are emotionally detached. And when you get into Mennonite circles, it increases higher than 15% where a person has a switch and they emotionally detach from their emotions. They have no feelings. They don't cry. They don't have joy. They're just blah. God never created anyone to be that way, but because of circumstances in life, people emotionally detach. But that's not who God is. God is a God of love. And the neat thing I see in my office is a person will be 1% sympathetic. We identify the cause of why they're detached. And there are four causes that we'll be talking about this week of why people are detached. Lead them in a prayer to disconnect their problem and they can begin loving. And I've seen individuals start loving at 70% where in the past they were 1% sympathetic. You see, God made us in his image and God is love and he wants us to love. And you and I have the potential to give love and to respond to feeling love because of God's love that he created us to demonstrate. The Bible says we're to love one another as he loved us. Romans 13 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. And then we have biblical challenges to love, put on love, follow love, walk in love, have a fervent love, being rooted and grounded in love. And you have the references on your sheet. You can take them home and read those references where there's a challenge to love other people. The evidence of our relationship with God is our ability to love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now we come to the section of the message that I want to really focus on. We can either motivate people out of pain or we can motivate people out of love. If you motivate people out of pain, 
you're pressuring them to change or you can motivate them out of love. I have learned as a counselor that pain actually creates more problems for people but if you love people and you care about what they struggle with they start to change. In fact when you start loving a person all of a sudden they open everything up to you that they're struggling with inside their heart. So I'm sitting in my office, it's Monday morning, and I ask them, can you tell me about your childhood, what you've experienced, your school experience, uh, your experience at church? So a person usually starts Monday by saying, I came from a great family, we had a great church, everything was fine in our community. In fact, it was probably the best community you could ever be raised in. They're communicating from their head what they experienced. We get about 12 hours into the session, it's Wednesday now, and all of a sudden a wife will say, my sister got all the attention and I never got any attention. All of a sudden she's in her heart and I'm hearing a different story. My mother was controlling, or a guy will say, my dad was a perfectionist and I never could please him, I could never drill straight enough for him. I could never plow a straight furrow. He would always criticize me if I didn't do it perfect. All of a sudden I find that there's pain inside a person's heart. And that pain they've struggled with. I've learned something else about people's problems. Their problem usually is only one or two problems and whenever that problem is repeated itself in their life, they struggle. If a person had a perfectionist father who was critical, they tripped in their childhood with that. Then they marry a wife who's a perfectionist and critical, they struggle with that. Then they get involved in a church and on a committee there is a perfectionist, critical person. And every time that happens, the person trips into depression. Everyone has a cycle like that, except everyone's problem is different and how everyone responds to that pain is different. Now let's talk about trying to change someone using uh, pressure or pain. And I'd like to share four different ways people use to change other people. The first is people use anger to change other people. Have you ever known a husband to get angry with his wife to try and change her, to verbally abuse her? By the way, if you use anger, you actually make your wife's problem worse. Or let's say you have a mother who gets angry with her children. The children will emotionally get damaged if a mother uses anger to try and change her children or to accomplish something uh, in her children's life. Because anger is an emotional response that actually emotionally damages another person. The second power of pain that we can use to change people is put-down statements or criticism, judging, shaming. There's a revival happening in conservative, or excuse me, um, Mexico Mennonite uh, community in Mexico and in Amish community in Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. In those communities, uh, parents used and the church used shame and shunning to control people and emotionally 80% of everyone we counsel in an Amish community is depressed over 80%. And I began sharing in those communities how to care about people to resolve their depression. And later this week we're going to have an evening 
uh, Thursday night where we talk about depression. And I'm going to share how 90% of depression within the church can be solved if we follow very simple uh, principles. But it's interesting when you shame a person and you look with disdain on them and you criticize them emotionally, their heart locks. But then there's the third is using the pressure of expectations, controlling, uh, using scripture to pressure people actually emotionally damages them. In my office, I lead people in a prayer to resolve their pain. And it's amazing how many people can't pray because they've been damaged by the truth of the word emotionally damaging their heart. A person might say to a, a Christian, you should take every thought captive. You shouldn't have those negative thoughts. That emotionally damages when you pressure a person with the word, uh, locks their heart. You shouldn't go to bed angry. So I have people staying awake till 3 o'clock in the morning trying to resolve their anger, yelling at each other till 3 o'clock in the morning because they're trying to follow a principle. But somebody is not helping them understand the cause of their anger and resolving it. You shouldn't be depressed. You should think of your blessings. A person that's depressed, when you criticize them, they actually get more depressed. Now, you're actually creating a bigger problem for them. And if you use the, the word to attack them, you're actually emotionally damaging their heart worse. Or we might say to a person, why are you anxious? You should be praying. And that's true. Philippians 4 says that. But that's not going to change an anxious person. So when you put pressure of expectations, you control a person, or you put the pressure of the word of God on a person, what happens is they lock up and they stop praying and they stop reading the Bible because of the pain. Ephesians 4.15 says, we're to speak the truth in love. When you speak the truth in love, people respond to truth because love is a foundation of that truth. The fourth is to withdraw from people or reject them or shun them, uh, creating the pain of, if you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm not gonna talk to you. That's the most painful pressure you can put on a person. Now, what if you add these four together? So you have a person who's angry, critical, puts pressure of expectations, withdraws from a person. Those four pain issues produce in a certain child with a certain type of personality, ADHD. It produces cutting, it produces anorexia, and it produces bulimia. Now you say, how do you know that, John? Well, after you sit in your office 19 years and you have 1,400 couples sitting in front of you one at a time, you begin realizing that one set of parents brings in an anorexic daughter. And you go and check to see, okay, what were the parents like? And one from Nebraska, a, a father was 99 angry, 99 um, critical, 99 expectations, a 99 control, and 99, if she didn't do it his way, he felt rejected and he withdrew from her. And she was eating two pieces of lettuce a day and she was dying. And they spent 80,000 in one facility trying to get her to eat. 
They put her in another Christian facility. She didn't eat. They finally put her in the hospital and put a tube in her stomach to get her to eat. And as soon as they took this tube out, she stopped eating again. So someone told him about caring for the heart office, so they called me and I had two days open at Christmas and I invited him to come next week, which was the week I had available and I had two days. And the daughter said in my office, if I was only dead, my dad would finally be happy. Where did that come from? It came from these four pressures that emotionally had damaged her and it shut her down. Now let me just say this statement. Love never damages anyone. Because in um, Romans 13.10, love does no harm to his neighbor. When a man loves his wife, the wife never gets upset with that. If a wife loves her husband, no husband ever got upset about that. If parents love their children, children don't lock up. But it's when we don't love that we damage. Now, as a counselor, pastor, I accept people where they are. People come with all kinds of problems into my office. And then I seek to understand what happened to them. How have they been damaged? And I just care. When you start caring, all of a sudden, they just open everything up, tell you everything about what they're struggling with. When they open everything up, I seek to find the cause. Where did that come from? Why are they angry? Why are they depressed? And I accept that. Because whatever the issue is, there's something that's happened in their past. And then I lead them in a prayer to disconnect their pain and they lose 80% of the pain that they brought into my office. That's the process we use at Caring for the Heart. Now in using the power of love, I'd like to challenge you, and you might want to turn your outline sheet over to the chart that you see in front of you there, because I'll be talking and uh, applying this in a practical way. First of all, genuine love casts out emotional insecurity. In 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. And I like to change the words a little bit to help us understand them. Genuine love demonstrated to another person causes them to lose their insecurity. Because whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, person is experiencing, or depression, when you genuinely love them, they lose these problems. Let me use some illustrations. A lady came in and her husband said to me, would you fix my wife? She keeps yelling at me when I drive the van. And would you tell her to shut up when I'm driving? I am sick of 20 years listening to my wife yell at me in the van. I mean, we come to a stop sign and she says, it's turn green, watch the car on the right, be careful of the car on the left. Rather than telling her to shut up, as a counselor, I said, can you tell me, I went to look for the cause, can you tell me what happened when you were a child? She said, well, my dad was an alcoholic, my mother was an alcoholic, and I was in 21 car wrecks in the first 18 years of my life. I knew exactly why she was anxious in the car. 
there was a cause for it. The cause was she'd been in an accident because her parents were almost always drunk. And she was scared to death, even though her husband had never had a rack. That pain had never been resolved. I led her in a prayer to resolve the pain from the childhood. And the next day she forgot to yell at her husband until she was a block from my office. And she says, oh, I forgot to tell you how to drive. He says, that's all right. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, and it stopped her pain. Genuine love casts out anxiety number of years ago, a young lady was dating a young man and she had horrible pain inside of her background from her mother. Her mother would emotionally damage her in the home school, yelling at her, screaming at her. And she never told her boyfriend for fear that he would dump her if she, he knew how bad her mother was and her background. She defined her background, her pain. I led her in a prayer and her boyfriend started crying. He had no idea what her pain was. Six months before their wedding, he began caring about her. And in two years, she couldn't find her pain. Because this young man, who was a Mennonite guy from Indiana, started caring about his girlfriend, what happened is he messed up all the pain that she experienced in her childhood from a mother who was 99 dominant, 99 perfectionist, 99 angry, and 99% depressed. Genuine love casts out depression. A pastor from North Dakota came to our training seminar. His wife took the test in that time in our training. Everybody that came for training had to go through an hour and a half of counseling in front of the group. So they came to the front. This lady was 99% depressed. And I had the husband look at her in front of the class and say, you've been depressed, haven't you? And she says, yes. And you're angry inside. And she says, yes. They'd been married 50 years. And she turned to me when I was asking questions. She says, my childhood was really messed up. And I was depressed most of my childhood until I met my husband. When I met him, he began caring about my pain and I've never been depressed since I started dating my husband. They've been missionaries in Africa. Now they were retired, pastoring a small church in North Dakota. And she says, because my husband loved me, I never felt my depression. Now on Thursday night, I'm gonna talk about how you and I in five steps can rid other people of the depression. So genuine love releases other people's fear. It releases their anxiety. It releases their depression. It releases their insecurity. But there are key steps. We need to care about a person. We need to find the cause for why they have the emotional pain, insecurity they have. And we have to lead them in a prayer. And this week we're going to explain how to lead a person in a prayer to actually resolve their problem. I have mothers helping their children resolve issues. I have husbands helping their wives resolve their issues. I have wives resolving, helping their husbands resolve issues. This last week we were in Florida and a man came up to me in the training seminar and he says, John, I finally figured out my problem. My dad and mom kept fighting all the time and they would yell at each other and as a little boy I couldn't stand them yelling and I've hated anybody who argues ever since. 
And he says, I finally figured out when someone fights, I get depressed and then I disassociate, I mentally check out and I lose memory every time somebody fights. And I never understood it, he was 60 years of age. And all of a sudden he realized how he had been emotionally damaged. So genuine love messes up people's emotional insecurity. But let me share a second verse. 1 Peter 4.8 says, genuine love covers sin. Now I'd read this verse, have a fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. I never really understood that. But when you start loving a person, they start being honest with you and they have a desire to stop sinning. A number of years ago, parents brought a rebellious son into my office. They told their son, uh, they lived in Florida, we're going to Colorado skiing. So he was all excited about getting on the slopes of Colorado. On Monday morning when they got to Colorado, they said, no, we're taking you to John Regeer's office and we want you to be fixed by him. We're not going skiing. They lied to him. So here this young man, 18 years of age, walks into my office. He has a black leather jacket. He has chains in his pockets hanging out of them. He's into drugs. He's into immoral activity. He's rebellious. Everything's about himself. He doesn't care about anyone else. And I said, would you forgive me for your parents lying to you? He said, well, you didn't lie. I said, but they did. I said, would you like to go skiing? They promised it to you. You can leave if you want. I didn't pressure him. I said, if you choose to stay the 15 hours that your parents brought you here to stay, I'm going to care about your heart. I'm going to understand what you're struggling with. You see, any young man that's rebellious 90% of the time is reacting to pain. And people get involved immorally uh, because of emotional pain and loneliness inside. And the guy started listening to me. He stayed for 15 hours. We cleaned everything up. His whole life changed. He left the friends and these groups that he was in. Met a Christian girl and they got married. Everything switched. Recently, a man came into my office uh, premarital counseling. He was 98% sympathetic. And I said, why are you 98% sympathetic? I very seldom see men your age, 19, that are 98% sympathetic. He says, my parents love me. And then he made a statement. When I was 13, I with two other friends saw pornography. They got addicted to it. I had no interest in it. I said, why weren't you interested in it? 70% of men are connected to pornography today and addicted to it. He said, I felt so loved at home. Didn't even face me. All of a sudden I realized something. Genuine love causes a person to not be able to sin. First Peter 3 says that if a wife has an unsaved husband and she demonstrates a gentle, quiet spirit, she can change that man through love. 
I've been doing something the last few years, just loving people, caring about people. The first thing I notice when you care about people, they'll dump everything in front of you and you all of a sudden find all their issues. Then I look for the cause of why they have their issues and I lead them in a prayer to resolve the issues. So love can transform insecurity, emotional pain, and love can cause a person to not want to sin. So the chart that you have in front of you, I'd like for you to remember 1 John 4.18 and 1 John 4.8 because when you demonstrate love, you can change another person just by caring about them. But in order to demonstrate love, it's important that it comes from your heart, not from your head. If a husband says to his wife, I love you, that's an intellectual statement, it's true. By the way, yesterday was Valentine's Day. If you intellectually said, I love you, your wife says, yeah, I know you do. And it's two people intellectually communicating. But if you drop in your heart and you connect with your wife, she's going to feel that emotional connection. So it must come from the heart. Secondly, it must be pure. Thirdly, it must be genuine. It can't be fakey. Fourth, it must be refreshing. 1 Peter 1.22 says it needs to be focused to care about that person. And finally, um, <clears throat> in order to demonstrate genuine love, it must be focused on that person to care about them. Caring for the heart ministry accepts people where they are, seeks to understand the cause for why they're struggling, then begins caring and then leading a person in a prayer to resolve the issues. We are encouraged to love one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us motivate one another to love and good works. Let's challenge each other to care. Let's challenge each other to love. For parents to love their children, for husbands to love their wives, for wives to love their husbands. There's a reward for loving. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. God will never forget every time you care about another person. Now, pastor read from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. In verse 1, Paul says, If I can speak in every language that angels or men speak and have not love, I'm only making noise. I produce nothing of value. So I can preach a sermon, but if the foundation of my sermon is not love, it's a zero. That's amazing. Secondly, the second verse says, if I can preach and understand and know everything and have faith to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing of value. The third verse, he says, if I give everything away and give my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing of value. Kind of tough verses to think about. Philippians 1.9, Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. I'd like to just close with a question. Do I have the capacity to love? 
Do I open my heart to care for my wife, for my husband, for my children, for the friend? Can I love? Or am I detached where I don't focus on love, I just intellectually say words that are detached? The second question is, can I let somebody love me? Because you can have a wife who's very loving with a husband who blocks love, who can't take love in. And in a marriage relationship, and that's what I counsel as marriage is, the question is, can a husband love? Can a wife feel that emotionally coming in? Can a wife love? Can a husband take it in? Sometimes people have been damaged emotionally and they can't respond to love. This week we're going to be talking about people's problems. The question is, can we accept and understand and care about what they're struggling with and help them resolve their issues without judging them, without being angry with them, without pressuring them, just by caring about what's happening in their heart. Now everybody has a problem. When you come to church, you look up and down the pews, nobody else seems to have a problem, just me. That's the way most of us look. But everybody struggles with something emotionally. And everybody wants somebody to care about their pain. Can I challenge you to ask God to open your heart to love today? To care about someone? Maybe your spouse, maybe a child, maybe your child. It may be a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe someone here in the church that you know is struggling. And pray that God would give your heart to love them and understand their pain. I am so grateful that God loved us. He loved all of us. I'm so grateful he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to make it possible for us to be his children by faith in him. And I'm so grateful that God gave us a capacity to love and to respond to love, because love is probably the most important ingredient in relationships that we need. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share this time together in your word. And we just want to express our gratitude to you for your love for us. That you were willing to send the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So that we, by faith, could be free from the penalty of our sins. And could enjoy fellowship and a relationship with you. We thank you that you not only love, but you gave us the capacity created in your image to love. And I pray that you would open our hearts to love each other, to love those in our family, and to open our hearts to understand and to care about others who struggle with issues in their lives. Thank you for your love and for all you do for us every day. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? and let's sing together for our soul.
we do have that truth that Christ is Lord of all and he is in control of all things. And as a church, we want to come alongside you and walk alongside you and say that we care about you and that we love you. And so as John has shared, that each one of us has an emotional need that Christ can fill because he is Lord of all and we have that hope. And we want to help each other and walk alongside each other and encourage each other in that way. And following our service here this morning, as well as any of our services beginning tonight through Thursday night, if after our service you want to just spend some time praying, we want to be willing to do that as our pastors and our shepherds. We want to be there to simply spend time praying together with you to say that we do love you and that Christ can meet those needs. Now, following our service this morning, uh, you're all invited to the Family Life Center for a meal. And just a word of instruction, the north half will go through the north door. And then they'll go right down alongside where the ping pong table is and get their food there. The south half and overflow will go right through the east door, right by the book table there. And then they'll go down and through the little hallway, turn left into the Eagle's Nest area there, the Life Song Room, and get their food there. And uh, so I'll have a prayer for the meal so that you can go and uh, receive your food. And let's do that at this time. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for this morning, for the message that we've heard. Lord, we know that you are our healer and that you, know, and that you do know each one of us intimately. You know everything about us. You know the pain that we experience. You know the hurt that uh, we have gone through and you are there and you're able to bring healing. Your healing touch, Lord, is available for each one of us. And so we just ask for you to meet us at our point of need throughout these messages, throughout these services. And Lord, we just pray that you will do amazing things in our lives as we look to you as our source of strength, as we recognize the principles in your word which address these issues, as we come to you in prayer and allow your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and bring healing into our lives. And so, Lord, as we now transition and have an opportunity to enjoy a meal together and the fellowship around the tables, we ask for your blessing upon the food that's been prepared and our fellowship as well. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As you go, I want to leave you with these words to reflect upon. They're found in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. As you think about what it is, that emotional pain, that need that you have, and as you think about the events of this week, I want you to go with this hope. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may go.